Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to the fifth chapter of Galatians. We're so glad you're here today. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1. We're in the New Testament today. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1. Here's what it says. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. It says this. So Christ has truly set us free. How many of you know that? Christ has set us free. Now you might be in bondage today. You might be broken today. You might be bound by something. Something might be holding you back today. But I want you to know in Christ Jesus you're free. You might not be enjoying that reality and we're going to show you how to enjoy that reality. But positionally, in Christ Jesus, you're free. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Christ has set you free. Now stay free. Christ has set you free. Now stay free. This weekend, July 4th weekend, we celebrate the independence of the American colonies from the British rule and reign. July the 4th, known as Independence Day, has been an official holiday, official national holiday, since 1941. In fact, in June 1776, anybody born in, was here in June 1776? There's a couple of you, was here. In June 1776, representatives of the 13 colonies in America gathered to weigh a resolution to declare their independence from Great Britain. On July the 4th, 1776, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the Continental Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence was adopted 442 days after the first shots were fired in the Revolutionary War. Now, the Revolutionary War was the results of several years of conflict between the American colonies and Great Britain over taxation and military rule. The term, taxation without representation, was coined during that time in history. And we need to remind people in Washington that that's still true today. Thomas Jefferson, along with others, understood that if they signed this document, known as the Declaration of Independence, if they signed this document declaring independence from Britain, they would be considered traitors and their lives would be at stake. They knew this document would unleash the wrath and might of the British army to sail across the Atlantic and to descend upon the relatively defenseless American colonies. 
They knew their scattered states didn't have the numbers, the arms, or the training to defeat the mighty British military. Yet they believed in freedom enough to place their lives, their families, and their destiny on the line. And on July the 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence was adopted. And part of it reads like this. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. It goes on to say, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and their happiness. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And it was this document that was signed over 200 years ago in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania that set the course for the United States of America to become the greatest nation that has ever existed in this earth. People were willing to give their lives for freedom. Now, the American War, the Revolutionary War, would last for five more years. After this document was signed, peace was not gained. They declared their independence on July the 4th, 1776, but it took five more years of war before their independence became a reality. The Patriots triumphed in Saratoga, the bitter winter at Valley Forge, the intervention of the French 
and the final victory at Yorktown in 1781 were notable moments in this historical struggle. The best statistics reveal that 25,000 Americans died fighting in the war for independence in the 1700s. There are no statistics which can accurately detail how many Americans, men, women, boys and girls, died of disease and starvation because of the effects of that war. In 1783, the United States and Britain entered, in, entered into, into an agreement called the Treaty of Paris, in which the United States became a free and independent nation. Now remember this truth. Americans declared their independence on July 4th, 1776. But the war for independence and freedom lasted for five more years after their bold declaration. Likewise, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, at that moment, we become free in Christ. We are free from sin and sin's dominion. But there is a war that must take place for us to fight to make sure our freedom is reality. When you and I come to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, old things have passed away, but all things and all things become new. We become a new creature in Christ Jesus, but Satan doesn't want to believe that. And your flesh doesn't want to believe that. You still have ingrained in your mind thought patterns of the way the old man used to live. You still have habits that you normally respond to when certain stimuli come against us that the old man responded to. Now you're a new man and you have to learn new patterns of living. So even though we declare our freedom like America did on 1776, we declare our freedom the day we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Still, we've got to fight the fight to make sure we, make sure we enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Now, the question I have to ask us today is on this Independence Weekend, are we enjoying real independence as a person? As an individual, I'm not talking politics here. This is not, nothing about the nation. This is about us as individuals. You are free in Christ. It happened 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross. And when you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, whatever day that was in your life, that's the moment that your declaration of independence took place. But now, since that day, are you walking in freedom? Are you walking as a free man? Are you walking as a free woman? Are you walking in the liberty that Christ has done for you? I want to remind you you, that over 2,000 years ago, a war of independence took place. It was the war for our spiritual, emotional, and physical freedom. Because of the results of that war, you and I can live free today. Free of any bondage. Free of any addiction. Fear used to grab me. Lust had me. There wasn't a day that went by that I wasn't bound by lust. My problem has never been drugs. I've never had any drugs. I, I kid all the time. People will say, I'm taking this medicine, I'll take that medicine. I say, where do you get it? They say, we get it at Walgreens, we get it at Kroger Pharmacy. They said, where's your pharmacy, Pastor? I said, he's an old boy down at the corner of Lytle and Maney. He, he can get me anything I want for $10. Hallelujah. That's not true. I just kid with that. But I lived, fear grabbed a hold of me back in the 80s 
My, grand, my grandmother died. They used to call them mental hospitals. Used to be, it was uh, Tennessee State, they called it. It's, it was located where Dell Computers is now. How many of you know where Dell Computers is over next to the airport? It was located where Dell Computers is now. You want to know what's wrong with your Dell computer? It's got a devil in it because that's where the mental hospital was located. That, that's where they put them together. That's their offices over there. All right? My grandmother died there. She died there. Died tormented in her mind. My aunt spent many months there. My own family and my dad's family lineage, they have had struggles mentally with emotional challenges. And in the 1980s, that thing tried to get on me. Up until that time, I thought anybody who experienced depression, anybody who experienced the blahs, anybody who experienced the blues, I thought that they were weak. I thought they were sissies. I thought they needed to grow up and get tough until it hit me. And then I discovered it's a reality in life. It's a real reality. It's a real thing. And in the 1980s, that thing tried to get a hold of me to the point that I wouldn't leave my house for almost a year. I was bound by fear, bound by anxiety. Back then, they just said, you, you're just having a nervous breakdown. Today, they call them panic attacks, anxiety disorders, things of that nature. Back in the 80s, they just said, you're having a nervous breakdown. And there wasn't all the drugs and things of that nature to help you soothe that over. Never took a drug. I just lived in fear for one solid year. Paranoia gripped me. And every day I would think and see myself in my mind as my grandmother. I would go to visit her in the insane asylum where they had her strapped in. I would see myself in my mind's eye that way. And I lived that way for a solid year. And then one day it dawned on me as a Christian, I do not have to live like this. This is not the way God, this is not the reason Jesus died on the cross for me. If the same power that raised Christ from the dead could release him from death, surely that power is still available to release me from this nervous disorder, from this anxiety disorder, from this depression, from this fear. And he did. He set me free by the power of the Lord. And every day I wake up thanking God for my independence in Christ. But it didn't happen one day. There was a fight to get there. And just like America declared its freedom in 1776, they had to fight for it for the next five years. I can live free from the bondages. You can live free from the bondages. But here's some things you need to understand. Number one, Jesus came to earth to bring freedom to mankind. Jesus came to earth to bring freedom for mankind. You need to know that. That's the reason he came, to bring freedom. He's not mad. God's a good God. He's not mad at you. He's looking for you. You're not looking for him. He loves you. He came to bring freedom to mankind. He didn't come to judge mankind. He didn't come to get mankind. He didn't come to punish mankind. He came to bring freedom to mankind. In fact, let me show it to you from Scripture. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 
verse number 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 8. The Apostle John says this, But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. People say to me all the time, Well, Pastor, I just, you know, I just, it doesn't hurt to do a little bad things. Well, the Bible says if you keep sinning, it shows you belong to the devil. Who has been sinning since the beginning. But notice this last sentence. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Why did Jesus come to destroy the works of the devil? Look with me at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Look over to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 reads like this. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die. And only by dying, now notice this, could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could He set, what's that next word? Free. Everybody say free. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Christ came to set us free. And the reason, way he did that is through dying himself to set us free. Here's another one. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. The gospel of John. John chapter 8 verse 31 through 36 says this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? This is Freedom Sunday. This is Independence Sunday. This is the day that we declare and celebrate through picnics and parties and fireworks our freedom from the bondage and the slavery and the dominion of a country Many, many miles away. Likewise, the Bible tells us in Christ Jesus, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Now, what I've discovered over the years is that there's a bunch of Christians who are not free. Notice what he says. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I used to say it like this without really knowing the verse. I'd say, well, the truth sets you free. How many of you have heard that? The truth sets you free. How many have ever heard that? The truth sets you free. Do you know that's not what the scripture said? The scripture says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The scripture says this, it's the truth that you know that sets you free. It's the truth that you know that sets you free. The truth won't set you free. It's only if you know it that it will set you free. And the Bible says, Jesus came and he said, ye shall know the truth. And the truth that you know, the truth that you embrace, the truth that you obey, it will set you free. Now then let's go on and read. But we are descendants of Abraham. Verse 33, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family. But a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. My goodness, my goodness. 
as a child of God, accepting Him as my Lord and Savior. I'm a son and I have heritage rights to be free. You can be free from that smoking addiction. You can be free from that fear. You can be free from that pain medication that you've become addicted to. You can be free from that crack. You can be free from that adulterous affair. That spirit of lust that keeps tormenting your mind and you can't get it off your mind. You can be free from that. Jesus Christ came to set you free. You can be free from depression. You can be free from all sexual identity issues. You can be free to be the person that God has created you to be. This is Freedom Sunday. And you can be free. You can be free in Christ Jesus. Now the question is, well, if He came to set us free, how did He do it? It says He came to set us free. Well, then how did He set us free? Look at Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. How many brought your Bibles this morning? Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Notice what it says. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Do you understand the progression here? He says, when Adam sinned, sin came in. And then he said, sin spread to everybody. Adam and Eve were the first people. There was no sin in the garden. There was no sickness, no disease in the garden. All of a sudden, Adam opened the door, sin came in. And when sin came in, everybody now who comes to planet Earth gets infected with sin. That's exactly what he says. Now pick it up, go down a couple of verses to verse 14. Still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Romans chapter 5 verse 14. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. What's he saying? He says everybody now is affected by sin even though they didn't disobey like Adam disobeyed because you're part of the human family, sin got on you. Okay? Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Verse 16. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness, for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because of one person, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Look again at verse number 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Just like Adam sinned and it infected everybody. Jesus died on the cross for that sin and now it is extended to everybody who will receive it. 
Because of Christ's work on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, sin's power over us has been broken. Sin's power over you has been broken. You might not feel it. You might not feel like it's power. You might feel bound. You might say, I'm bound. You might say, I'm addicted. It might feel that way and it might be your reality presently, but I want you to know Satan has no right of ownership or authority over you in Jesus' name. But unfortunately, many Christians are not enjoying their freedom. That's why Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says this, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free. Make sure you stay and don't get tied up again in the slavery of the law. So understand this, Christ, Jesus came to earth to bring freedom to mankind, number one. Number two, my personal freedom. He came to earth to bring me freedom, but if I'm going to enjoy personal freedom, it's dependent upon my understanding of my identity in Christ. It's dependent upon my understanding of who I am in Christ. Satan is a defeated foe. He's defeated. You hear Christians talk, well, you've got to watch evil. You've got to watch out for the devil. I'm going to tell you, the devil needs to watch out for us. We got this thing all messed up here. We're on the defensive and he seems to be on the offensive. And we need to turn this thing around. He's the defeated one. We're the one with the authority and the power in Jesus' name. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. He says in this way, He, Jesus, he's referring to Jesus. Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Jesus not only defeated Satan on the cross, he not only defeated sin, the Bible says he shamed him. He shamed him. How many many have ever heard of the King James Version? The King James, which I grew up on and which I learned on, says this in Colossians 2.15, And he spoiled principalities and powers, made a show over them, triumphing over them in it. The King James Version says, He spoiled. That word spoiled means he paralyzed. Jesus paralyzed. That word spoiled means in the original, brings to naught. Jesus spoiled. He paralyzed. He brought to naught principalities and powers. What principalities and powers? The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The Bible tells us that every day you and I are fighting against these principalities and powers, but the Bible also tells us that Jesus spoiled. He brought to naught these principalities and powers that we're fighting over. Jesus has already defeated them for us. All we do is enact the victory. We just act like we got victory. We act like we're on the winning side. Some of us act like we're on the defeated side. We need to remind the devil every day, you're under my feet, my father defeated you, and I'm his son, and I enjoy the the victory with him. He spoiled principalities and powers. He 
paralyzed them. He brought to naught. The Bible says he spoiled principalities and powers, triumphing over them in it. Triumphing over them in it. The word triumphant there comes from the Greek Roman times when a general of the Roman army would win a war, the Senate of Rome would vote him a triumph. They would vote him. It was called, let's vote him a triumph. So when a general in the Roman army would win a big war that gained dominance for Rome, more territory, when the armies would come back in, the Senate would vote the general over that army a triumph. And a triumph would mean a military parade. The triumph would mean that all the shops would be closed and people would line the streets and they would bring in the triumphing general on chariot and they would hail him as the king for the day. Kind of like they did LeBron this past several weeks ago. Cleveland came back. It's amazing how popularity had changed. A few years ago, he was the scourge of Cleveland, and now they vote him a triumph. They bring him, they bring him back in. Well, the Bible says Jesus spoiled. He brought to naught. He paralyzed principalities and powers, the same ones that we're wrestling with every day. He's already defeated them. He's paralyzed them. He's brought them to naught. And not only did that, when he defeated them, King Jesus went down the middle of the banister of eternity and they voted him a triumph. The New Living Translation says he shamed them. He put it in their face. And you and I need to remind the devil he's a defeated foe. Satan is a defeated foe, but he is committed to keeping us from realizing that. He knows he can block our effectiveness and our freedom if he can deceive us into believing that we're nothing but a product of our past. Subject to sin, prone to failure, and controlled by our habits. And if he can blind us with these dark lies, we won't be able to see the chains which once bound us are now broken. My personal freedom is dependent. It's Freedom Weekend, and Christ has set us free. He did it through His death and, uh, on the cross and resurrection from the dead. But my personal freedom is dependent on my understanding of my identity in Christ. Let me show it to you. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. I've got 10 minutes, so hurry reading. You're slow reading, so I... I've got to slow down for you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded. Paul's preaching here. He's he's writing a letter. It's a prayer. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He, Jesus, has given to those He called. Paul is writing to the Ephesians, the Christians. His holy people who are His rich and glorious inheritance. Verse 19. I also pray that you will understand. Remember now, my personal freedom is dependent upon my understanding of my identity in Christ. Notice what Paul says. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power of us for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. Look at verse 21. Now, he is far above any ruler or authority. 
or power or lead or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all all things under the authority of Christ and has made Him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is His body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with Himself. What did Paul say? He says, I pray you'll understand of the exceeding greatness of Christ's power that raised Him from the dead. He's far above principality and power. These same principalities and powers that try to trap you and me, that try to bind you, that tempt you and me, that try to hold us in bondage, Jesus is far above them. He's far above them. And notice what it says. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made Him to be head over all things for the benefit of the church. Now, you say, what does that have to do with me? Okay, look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul goes on and says this. But God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even when we were dead, because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For For if He raised us from the dead along with Christ, now notice this, and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us as shown in all He has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. Do you hear what he says? He says in chapter 1, Jesus Christ, through the resurrection from the dead, defeated Satan and God raised him up and made him to sit in heavenly places far above principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, and he said, And you also, since you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been raised up and you're supposed to be sitting with him now in heavenly places as well. Now listen, if Jesus is far above principality and power and we're supposed to be hanging out with Jesus, guess where we are? We are far above principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named. Stop talking about being a victim. Stop talking about your problem. Stop talking about telling everybody how bad it is for you and how nobody gives you a chance. I'm going to tell you, in Christ Jesus, you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You're not a victim, you're a victor in Christ Jesus. But you've got to realize that. You've got to come to an understanding of your identity in Christ Jesus. We are free in Christ, but if the devil can deceive us into thinking we're not, we won't experience the freedom of our inheritance. Nothing is more foundational to your freedom from Satan's bondage than understanding and affirming what God has done for you in Christ and who you are as a result. People say, oh, I'm an old sinner saved by grace. The Gaithers sing that. I love the Gaithers, but he got it wrong on that one. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner. Grace touched you, and now you're a saint. All right? We're not... The New Testament... Paul doesn't call those people sinners. He calls them saints. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So number one... Realize that Jesus Christ came. Jesus came. He came to earth to bring freedom to mankind. The way He does it is through His death, burial, and resurrection. But you and I, secondly, 
Our personal freedom is dependent upon my understanding of my identity in Christ. And then third and finally, declare daily that you are a partaker of God's divine nature. Every day, declare daily that you're a partaker of God's divine nature. Before we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, our nature was sin, and the result of our sin was separation from God. That's before we accepted Christ. But after you accepted Christ, listen to this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Verse 2, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to believe God. Verse 3, all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our own very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. He said before Christ, that's the way we used to be. But then you accepted Christ and everything changed. And notice how Peter says it. Second Peter, the epistle of Peter. Chapter 1 says, by His divine power. By His divine power. Not by our good works. Not by our good deeds, but by His divine power. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him. The One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to to share His divine nature and escape the corruption caused by human desires. Notice what he says. At one time before Christ, you had the nature of sin in you. You and I had the nature of Satan in us. That's the way we lived. That's the way we acted. That's the way we thought. But because of God's divine power, and when we accepted that, all of a sudden our nature changed. We took on a divine nature. We took on Christ's nature. We had a blood transfusion. Jesus came to live inside of us. And the Bible says now He's given us exceeding great and precious promises, which is the Word of God, that by these we can become a partaker of the divine nature. You are a partaker. Every day declare, I'm a partaker of the divine nature. Jesus lives inside of me. The greater one lives inside of me. He's inside of me every single day. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says it this way. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Well, pastor, I don't feel like a new creature. I don't feel like I have a divine nature. I still have those old feelings and I still have those old urges. Well, remember, sin is still alive, strong and appealing but its power and authority over you has been broken. You and I are living in a fleshly body that is not redeemed. We still have memories, habits, conditioned responses, and thought patterns ingrained in our brains which prompt us to focus on our selfish desires. You and I got to live with that. But listen to what Romans chapter 6 verse number 11 says. Paul says it this way. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. 
Verse number 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Verse 14. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. He says, consider yourself free. Consider. You say, well, I don't feel like it. It doesn't make any difference how you feel. Just consider yourself free. I'm free. I'm free. Some days I don't feel good enough to be this beautiful blonde's husband. But I'm her husband, bless God, and I'm going to take advantage of it. Back, I, I knew my identity in Christ. I was starting to learn my identity in Christ years ago. I was fighting against lust. I was fighting against fear. I was memorizing scriptures. I was doing everything I could. And that old thing would still try to get back on me. That lust would try to get back on me. Those impure thoughts would try to invade my mind constantly. That fear, paranoia was coming at me like machine gun bullets that I couldn't turn off. And I kept thinking, there was days that would go by, I said, I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to win this battle, I'm not going to overcome, I'm, 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 I'm going to spend the rest of my life in a hospital like my grandmother, I'm, I'm going to be like my dad's family, I'm going to be that way, I'm, this is the best I have in life. And those thoughts would try to get on me. And then I found this scripture one day, just in casual reading. Have you ever read a scripture, and you read it a dozen times, but then one day it seems like it scripture pops off that page and happens to be exactly what you needed for that moment. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Here it is, Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. <laughs> All of a sudden, I, it hit me. I don't know why it hit me that day, but it hit me. Just because my flesh says do it doesn't mean I have to do it. Just because that thought pops in my mind, go think this and believe this and act this, doesn't mean I have to believe that, think that, or act that. I'm under no obligation to sin. I owe it nothing. The one I owe is Jesus Christ, the King of glory. He's the one I owe. He's the one that delivered me. So when sin comes to me and forces me, when it tries to pressure me to act what it wants to do, and my flesh tries to pull me in a direction that I know God doesn't want me to go, I must realize and consider, I don't owe it anything. I don't have to do what it says to do. I don't owe you anything. I don't have to follow you. I don't have to obey you. I don't have to. You have no power over me. And when that dawned on me, suddenly, gum, I don't need you no more. See, here's, here's, here's where most of us live as Christians. Most of us love Jesus. We want to go to heaven. We want to live right. But we got this sin thing on us all the time. And it's constantly t- nipping at us. Paul said it this way. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. It's always nipping at you. It's always harassing you. It's always... And here's how we are as Christians. We're constantly trying to push it off. 
We're constantly getting this off and we'll have a good day of victory and we'll overcome and we'll make some good choices and we feel good about ourselves. But guess what? The next day, here it comes and we're trying to push it off. So our whole Christian existence, we're trying to overcome something. We're trying to push something off. And then when you, you realize if you'll ever come to the understanding that I'm over that thing. What am I thinking? Pushing it off. I'm bearing down on it. It's underneath me. I, this thing, I, the way I've got this thing pictured is sin is up here pushing me down. But that's really not the way it is. The truth of the matter is, is I'm on top of it. Sin's on top of me. It's underneath my feet. And I'm just stepping on it. I'm not trying to push something down. I'm just stepping on it with my feet. And if you can get that picture in your mind, that you're too good to sin. You say, now don't get lifted up in pride. I'm going to tell you, some of you need a little pride. You've been living under the, the footprint of the devil so long, and your esteem is so low, you can't pick yourself up. I'm going to tell you, you are a child of the Most High God. You are a royal citizen of heaven. Did you know that you and I are going to sing a song that the angels cannot sing? We're going to enjoy the freedom of heaven and the riches of transformation. And the angels themselves have never been able to experience that. We have authority over principalities and powers and devils and demons. Jesus says, the authority that I have, I have given unto you. Now go into all the world and preach the gospel. You are something special. And once you realize that, that your good father has blessed you with a good gift and given you a good nature, and once you realize that, you will start to be an overcomer in Christ Jesus, and then you can start to really enjoy your freedom on this Independence Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.